We, uh, over the last couple of months or so at least, we've been in the upper room with the disciples and Jesus. Uh, but it's important to remember that this all happened in one night. <laughs> so to kind of recap where we've been over the last couple of months, it's all happened in one night. If you remember, Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And then he said, hey, love, love like this. So that the world may know that you belong to me. Oh, by the way, uh, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. Uh, but keeping my commandments is love. And abide with me. The world's going to hate you. I'm going to throw you out of the synagogue. going to kill you. Oh, and did I mention that I'm leaving? <laughs> and you can't follow me where I'm going. Imagine how the disciples felt. All, coming at, all that came at them in one night. We've, we've stretched it out over a few months, but it all happened in one night. They felt probably overwhelmed, anxious, sad, confused. You, you ever feel any of those things, trying to faithfully follow Jesus in this world? You ever feel overwhelmed? I do. Well, you're not alone. And Jesus knows this. He knew that for the disciples' sake. He knows it for us, and he speaks here to this uh, struggle. I believe, here in John 16. We're going to be in verses 4b through verse 15. This is God's inerrant and infallible word. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will, he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to him now in prayer, asking him to guide us in this time together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. I pray that you would reveal more of yourself, your heart, the beauty of the gospel. Lord, in my prayers that I would decrease, you would increase, that your spirit would move in power through the proclamation of your word. Pray these things for your glory and our good. In your powerful name, amen. Well, the disciples seemed to be facing a mission impossible. And you know, I'm sure you're thinking of all the movies, Mission Impossible. Uh, I think they're still making them. Uh, I've seen some of those. Probably you've seen them. Uh, but it makes me think, actually, of a, another Mission Impossible that actually is a true story. That's what actually in one of my favorite books, but it was a true story about the HMS Endurance, K-2. 
captained by Ernest Shackleton. Uh, this ship with 27 men set out from, uh, well, originally from the UK, but made their way down to the South Georgia Islands. And their goal, their mission, their, was to explore Antarctica. They were going to land there and traverse the continent, crossing the South Pole with dogs and sleds. They were going to be the first to do that. This was in 1914, mind you. They were in a wooden boat with ship masts and sails and all that sort of thing. So they set out from the South Georgia Islands on December 5th, 1914. And they get close to that continent. But on January 18th, 1915, the Endurance is trapped in pack ice. And it stays trapped in pack ice for about 10 months. They can't move. And there's no uh, radioing for help back then. There's no mayday calls. No one knows where they are, what they're, that they're stuck. <laughs> and they, so they stay there for 10 months. And they're slowly hearing the boat be crushed <laughs> over 10 months. And they can do nothing but watch it happen. And so eventually they offload their gear, offload the dogs, offload everything onto the pack ice until eventually the ship is crushed and eaten by the ice. They continue to live uh, for another six months drifting on pack ice uh, until in April of the next year, uh, the snow-capped peaks of Elephant Island come into view. I may not have ever heard of that island. I hadn't because it's an uninhabited island. <laughs> no one is there. Uh, but they offload onto the, the dry land for a little while and recoup for nine days. But they again realize that no one knows where they are. No one's coming. So Captain Shackleton with five other men take one of the lifeboats that they had carried with them and kept with them to go 800 miles in some of the most dangerous seas back to the South Georgia Islands to try to get back to civilization, to then return with a rescue boat leaving 22 men on this uninhabited island. I'm sure they were all wondering, like, it, even if he makes it back to civilization in a lifeboat, will he make it back to us? <laughs> it was a mission impossible, it seemed. The disciples felt like they were facing a mission impossible, I believe, and their captain was leaving. <laughs> I know we feel overwhelmed with the task of living faithfully in this life, in this world, following Christ. It seems like an overwhelming task. We, we want to look more like Jesus, but often we feel more like a wretch. We want to love like Jesus, but we find ourselves again and again in the whole of self. We want a rich prayer life, but again, we find ourselves sometimes just unable to pray. And we see this gap. We see the gap about what we know is true about the gospel and how, we're, how it's impacting our lives. And we see the difference and it's overwhelming. How do we bridge the gap? What's the solution? I think part of our problem is that we think, I know for me, I think sometimes I just need to figure out the solution. And I miss the person of the Spirit. Sometimes we see our problem as, well, if Jesus could come and if he could just show up and and give me a little miracle. And certainly he does that, right? Or, or if Jesus would just change my circumstances, if he could just fix this thing. Or maybe if I just get more knowledge, more information, if I read the right book, things will get better. But this passage shows us that we need a helper, the person of the Holy Spirit, 
one of the persons of the Trinity, of God, of God himself. That that's actually what we need because our problem is not that we just need a little help along the way. It's that we actually have a capability problem. I don't know about you, but I feel incapable so often. <laughs> we don't just need circumstances changed. We have a reality problem. Sometimes I don't see reality as it should be or as it's meant to be or as it truly is the way God describes it. I see other things being more real to me than the truth of the gospel. And some, it's, it's not that we need more information. It's that sometimes we just have a hearing problem. But the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is sent for us to meet these problems. Sometimes that word helper is translated counselor or even advocate. And the Greek word parakletos is two words put together. Kaleo means to call out, to proclaim truth, uh, sometimes even to call by name, which is interesting. But then para, put on the front of there, is alongside of. The Spirit comes alongside of us to take us back to what is true. And that's what we need to, bring, to make the gospel real in our lives, to give us an ability to hear it. And so... The Spirit, we're going to work through this together. The Spirit, we're going to talk about the Spirit's power and His purpose and His presence. Yeah, it all starts with P. I did a little alliteration. But those meet those three problems that we have. One, the first is the capability problem. We're incapable, but the Spirit brings power. Because we're often overwhelmed, as we've already acknowledged. We're overwhelmed as we go out into this world. It feels overwhelming. There's a temptation to just retreat. Just retreat inward. You know, uh, Peter kind of did a little retreat. You know, he, he denied Jesus. But then later he did see him rise from the dead, actually. He saw that. He, was, he saw him post-resurrection. But eventually he finds himself back in Galilee fishing. He went back to what he knew. He sort of retreated back because he, he didn't know what else to do. He was overwhelmed by the calling and the task, and he felt like he, he felt like he had blown it. But that's where Jesus met him, of course, on the shore that day and fixed breakfast and restored him. <laughs> that's another story for another time. But these guys, these disciples, saw what Jesus did and still were overwhelmed by the task at hand. If we're all honest, I know I would, I would say this, but if we're all honest... There's times where we would say, if, if I could have just been there to have seen what Jesus did, then, then my faith would really soar. If I had seen him raise Lazarus from the dead, if I'd have been there, man, it'd be different. I'd be walking in power all the time. Right? But the, the, these disciples saw it. They saw it all. And they still struggled. They were still overwhelmed. They were sad. They were confused. They needed the same spirit that's been given to us. I remember early on as a new believer, I really wrestled with the thought of how, okay, I know Jesus. He, he's changed me. I feel it. I know it. It's happened. But how, how does this man who lived over 2,000 years ago and in a place over 6,000 miles away in a different culture, different time, how does he practically interact with my life here and now? You ever wondered that? It's like, okay, he... He saved me from my sin. I get to go to heaven to be with him. But how does he impact the here and now, the daily, ordinary stuff? Well, it's the helper. 
It must be that he is God, of course, and the Holy Spirit is God. It's the only way. Otherwise, he was just a great example. And boy, wasn't he. (laughs) But it's down to me then, if I don't have the Spirit, to try to follow that example. I don't know how well that works for you, but it doesn't work well for me because I have a capability problem apart from the Spirit. But thanks be to God that he gave us the Spirit. Jesus sent his Spirit. And think about the power of this. Okay, Jesus became man for us. He, God uh, uh, condescended himself to become one of us, right? But, so his time on earth meant that he was limited by that. Jesus could only be at one place at one time. But now, through his spirit, he can be in all of his believers all around the world. Think about our James and Shelley and Jenny right now are in India. And they're with believers over there. They have the same spirit that we have here. Think of the power of that, the, the multiplying power of the Holy Spirit. Now, disciples were meant to establish the worldwide church, right? And they felt like they had an overwhelming task. And they were told that the, the world was going to be against them. But what do you do? Uh, I kind of think it's amazing that Elon Musk decided or thought that it was possible to reuse rockets. And he started his company, SpaceX, right? Maybe you've heard of that. And, the, you know, he, he, did, he made it a thing <laughs> that rockets could reland and be reused, right? I, I still don't, it's, it, it's mind-blowing that they could take a, a 230-foot-tall rocket that weighs over a million pounds and launch it up into space and then bring the, the booster part back down and, and have it, like, turn itself and gently set down on its feet on a sh- little drone ship in the ocean. Like, isn't that incredible? Now, Elon Musk didn't do that. He didn't engineer that. He found the people that could figure that out. One of those guys' name is Lars Blackmore. He's the principal rocket landing engineer at SpaceX. Elon Musk had a capability problem. He couldn't engineer it. He was an entrepreneur. Certainly he had financial resources, but he had to be connected to the right people to figure it out. How much more, how much more powerfully does the Spirit make uh, His power known to us when we're connected to Him? We don't have to be wealthy like Elon Musk to have the right people in our lives because the Spirit's a gift. It comes to us. And and just like uh, SpaceX showed the world that uh, reusable rockets are now a thing, The Spirit shows the world that sin and righteousness and judgment are a thing. We don't have to do that, by the way. It's not our job to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Spirit does it. Didn't He do that in us? He did it for me. So how do we tap into this power? Okay, there's power given in the Spirit, but how do we tap into that power? Well, this is the Spirit's purpose. Because... We also have a reality problem. He's got to change our reality. Think about it this way. What has power over you? Speaking of power, what, what owns you? What wakes you up at night? What stirs your anxiety? What causes you to worry? I remember as a, a kid, I would have, maybe you've had recurring dreams as, in your life and I had one that I remember as a kid that I don't know if it's because I like to watch war movies or what, but I had a recurring dream that I was going off to war 
and it would usually involve me going into the battle, and I was in some vehicle of some kind, and as I go in, I can see all the enemy. They were all above me, and they were all, like, aiming at me, and they would all fire, and I would wake up, (laughs) and I would be like, oh, where's, you know, am I okay? I'd look for bullet wounds and stuff, and it was real, and took me a minute to kind of come back to reality, of course, and maybe you had those types of dreams, but maybe you have waking nightmares that are more real to you than the gospel. I uh, usually, when I do premarital counseling, I'll talk to the couple, and uh, usually, depending on your family of origin, you've had some uh, message given to you as you grew grew up. You know, sadly, there's some homes where a child has said that they're stupid or unwanted or whatever negative message that was given to you growing up. And I tell the couple that if that's something that you experienced, your spouse has the power to overturn that because it's the most uh, intimate connection that you'll now have. And the, the spouse has the power to overturn a lifetime of a message that sent you in the other direction, can overturn your reality of who you think you are. How much more can the Holy Spirit do that? Can overturn a, a, a verdict that's been proclaimed over you that you're unwanted, unlovely, uh, broken, wretched, and, and certainly those things are those things are actually true of us, aren't they? But He overturns that. He makes something more true and real that we are beloved children of God. And of course, there's the what is things, the things that are in our lives. We ask questions like, why, why do I suffer? Why am I lonely? Why does God allow these things to happen? And our conclusion is that reality is that I'm not loved, that I am rejected. And what is not real becomes our reality. God doesn't really love me. The serpent convinced Adam and Eve of that, basically. God doesn't really love you. You have to do this on your own. You figure this out. You figure out good and evil. You go eat of that tree. You do this. God doesn't really love you. So a pastor that I listen to, he says that the source of so many of our problems is that unreal things have become more real to us than the gospel. Boy, doesn't that happen a lot. It could be anything. Something that owns us. The what if, what would it look like if the power of the Holy Spirit, that power that I spoke of earlier, what if the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that conceived him, the the power that spoke creation into existence, what if that power became more real to us? Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Like, to sit and contemplate that you and I have the mind of Christ? How, you know, of course, the next question is, how do, I, <laughs> how do I tap into that? How do I connect with that? If it's there, how does it become real? Well, the Spirit does that work. But oftentimes what happens, right, is we hear other voices. We hear the voice of the world. We hear the voice in our mind. We hear some of the, the old messages that are said over us from years of our past. And those become the loudest thing, and the the gospel becomes a a distant message, a distant thought in our daily lives. 
Jesus says here something amazing. The Spirit's going to alter your reality, I think, basically is what he's saying. He's talking about the helper, or again, the counselor, as it's sometimes translated. But what does a counselor do? Hopefully a counselor will listen. And oftentimes a counselor will sympathize. A good counselor hopefully won't just tell you to stop it, (laughs) whatever it is you're struggling with. I think the very best counselors are able to draw out what we're believing that is not real and with the greatest of compassion take us to what is true and real. How much more can the Spirit of God himself impress into our hearts the reality of the gospel? What is reality? Jesus says here that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. Remember our assurance of grace earlier, that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. I think that there's something happening there where the spirit testifies with our spirit. It's pressing that reality of the gospel into our hearts. What is that? What is it that is Jesus's that he's declaring to us? Uh, Again, let's go back to the the marriage analogy for a minute. When, When you're married, you become one new legal unit. Two have become one, right? And guess what? Everything that you own, everything that belongs to you is now that other person's. (laughs) My money, my home, my car, my my debt. (laughs) It, It all, we all share it. You share it. You become one new legal unit. Think about that with union with Christ. Jesus says, everything that's mine is now yours. We could, we could talk about a lot of things. Let's just think about his perfect life. Yours. It's mine. Because I'm married to Christ. His death, his death to sin. Yours, mine. His ability to please the Father. Yours and mine. Belongs to us. His sonship with the Father. Yours. Those are all those things that the Spirit is declaring to us. But the, the Spirit's declaring, I can, I, you're hearing my voice, right? I'm, I'm making sound waves that are going to your ears. But unless the Spirit is declaring it to you, it's just information. The Spirit takes it to our hearts. And so he makes the gospel, he makes the things that we know about Jesus real. That's his work. That's his work as a counselor. It's why we, we can sometimes, there are people who can know an awful lot about Jesus without actually knowing him. We see that sometimes. Because the Spirit comes and makes it real. I can remember a, a time where I felt like I was watching the Spirit make the gospel more real to someone. I'm sure maybe you've had those experiences where you've been talking about the gospel with someone and you just sort of watch it happen. It's just the most beautiful experience. And I remember I was reading the gospel of Matthew with a friend and once we got done with it, I just said, hey, what's your big takeaways? What what hit you? And it, it was beautiful the way my friend described it. He said, you know, it was the humanity of Jesus that came out to me. Yeah, I know he's God. But when I read of him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, I was like, Father, 
could there be any other way? Do I have to do this? Well, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. I'll do it for them. And my friend wept over this reality because it landed in his heart. And you know what happened to me? As I listened to him, it made the gospel land more in my heart. And there's something at work. That's why we need to be together. That's why the church is the church. That's why Jesus gave us each other, because we need to be able to uh, hear and watch the Holy Spirit at work among us. Imagine the Spirit at work like that among a community of believers. We see it, don't we? We get to see it. That's why we do things like small groups. The Spirit's at work, and His purpose is to make the gospel real to us. But there's also, the uh, again, the hearing problem. <clears throat> and this is where I think the Spirit's presence comes into play. The Counselor, the Helper, the Spirit of Christ is with me, and He opens my ears to the truth. Well, how does that work? It's interesting, in verse 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. He says this to the disciples. Is this because he's realized, oh gosh, I've hit them with so much. They're done. They're tapped out. I gotta, I'm going to have to hold back a little bit. I don't think that's what Jesus was thinking. I mean, certainly he's caring for him, but I think it's more. And again, I think we know that he's talking about the Spirit here, but he's saying there are things about the grand story of redemption that can't be planted into your heart until you're able to hear it. Till you're, able, till you're able to hear the gospel. Till you're able to have the spirit in you making it real. He says he'll guide you into all truth. What does that look like? Well, there's a few things for sure we can say from the text here. Jesus, uh, The Holy Spirit will not say anything apart from the Father or the Son. If, the Holy, if, if we hear the Holy Spirit saying something that uh, isn't a part of this or doesn't fit in with the scripture it may not be the holy spirit <laughs> the holy spirit is that jesus says that he will glorify me he will glorify jesus so if it's something that's not shining a light on christ then it's probably not the spirit now there's all kinds of things that we hear about ways that the spirit has been spoken of that go off into left field but the spirit is all about jesus all about the Father, all about the gospel. And he's guiding us into all truth. Think about what it means to have a guide. If you're going on a journey, if you're going on an adventure, if you're going on a hike and you're somewhere new, and you have a guide and it's really helpful because <laughs> you don't know where you're going, you don't know what you're going to run into, you don't know what problems may come up. You have a guide. He slowly, intentionally shapes our path so that we are swept up into the story of redemption. A pastor friend of mine who is also a jazz musician, uh, he's got three, de three degrees in music. He uh, helps me understand jazz. I'm not a musician, and I don't understand it all. And to the untrained ear, jazz sort of sounds, it's beautiful, but it sounds almost chaotic. You know, you don't know what's coming or going, and it sounds like total improv. But he said actually that jazz is improv operating within a set of rules. Uh, he equates it to speaking English. He's like, oh, you can say what you want, you can make whatever noises you want, but if you don't use the rules of English, people aren't going to understand you. <laughs> so jazz operates within a set of rules. 
Uh, and he says that uh, you know, there'll be a group of musicians playing on stage, playing their various instruments, um, and each one will maybe take a turn doing a solo. But he says it's not about the, mu- the musician playing, it's about the music. There's a humility to jazz, he says. The Holy Spirit is not about himself. He points to Christ. My friend also says that to play jazz, it's all about being able to hear the turnaround. And I don't have an ear for that, but he says you get to a point where you turn it around and you bring it back to the top. And you've got to be able to hear the chord changes and all that. But he says the, very, the most amazing musicians can actually bring it back from other places. And he tells me this story about how he read about this. He, he says, uh, tells a story of a famous jazz trumpet player named Wynton Marsalis, who happened to be uh, playing with a no-name band in Greenwich Village. Uh, and he shared this article, the, the writer who was there that night. Um, he said that he didn't even play until the fourth song. This great musician was just humbly sitting in the back and then stood up and played the fourth song, which was a, a, a common jazz tune called I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. The writer describes the night like this. He performed the song in murmurs and sighs, at points nearly talking the words and notes. It was a wrenching act of creative expression. When he reached the climax, Marsalis played the final phrase, the title statement, in declarative tones, allowing each successive note to linger in the air a bit longer. I don't stand a ghost of a chance. The room was silent until, at the most dramatic point, someone's cell phone went off, blaring a rapid sing-song melody and electronic bleeps. People started giggling and picking up their drinks. The moment, the whole performance unraveled. Marsalis paused for a beat, motionless, and his eyebrows arched. I, the, the writer of the article, scrolled on a sheet of note paper. Magic ruin. The cell phone offender scooted out in the hall as the chatter in the room grew louder. Still frozen at the microphone, Marsalis replayed the silly cell phone melody note for note. Then he repeated it and began improvising variations on the tune. The audience slowly came back to him. In a few minutes, he resolved the improvisation, which had changed keys once or twice, and throttled down to a ballad tempo and ended up exactly where he left off with you. The ovation was tremendous. The spirit of Christ, the counselor, the helper, is the great musician who sings of Jesus. And he's able to sing us back to himself from all the various awkward, lame cell phone ringtones that we might have. Whatever that may be. Whatever sin struggles it may be. Whatever uh, fears, whatever anxieties we're experiencing, whatever feelings of overwhelmedness in this world (laughs) that comes out in a lame cell phone ringtone, the Holy Spirit sings us back to Jesus. He brings us back. I may not be able to hear the chord changes. I may not be able to hear the turnaround or the rules of jazz, but I can hear the music and I can hear the beauty of it. And the Holy Spirit leads me. He takes my faltering self and sweeps me up into Christ. Can you hear the music of the gospel? You might have heard the words of the gospel, but the Spirit's playing the music. Let me close 
with this. We find ourselves with a capability problem. We're unable to, to follow Jesus faithfully in this world. And we don't need a SpaceX engineer. We might find that we have a reality problem where unreal things have become real to us. We don't need new circumstances. We might find that you have a hearing problem. I just can't seem to hear. I can, I'm opening up scripture and I can't seem to, to hear it. Well, I don't, we don't need Wenton Marsalis to play jazz, although that would be great. <laughs> we need the spirit of Jesus coming to reside in us. And praise be to God that that's been given. If you're not in relationship with Jesus, you may be here and you may know, to lo- you may know a lot about him. But maybe you haven't heard the music of the gospel. Maybe it hasn't become real for you. But maybe you're hearing the nudge. <laughs> Listen. Listen to the gospel. The only to do <laughs> is to surrender to it. To keep coming. To keep listening. To keep being open to the spirit. Listen to him wooing you towards Jesus. Follower of Christ. Brother and sister. In Christ, maybe you're here and you're finding yourself that you deal with these same problems I've described that, that I feel, the capability problem, the reality problem, the hearing problem. Well, you're not alone. <laughs> Remember the 22 men that were left on Elephant Island? They waited for four and a half months. I'm sure they were like, he probably never even made it to the South Georgia Islands on that little lifeboat. We're here, we're stuck, we're stranded. Well, four and a half months later, their captain, leaving on a lifeboat, came back in a Chilean tugboat that had room for all 22 men. He didn't lose a single one. Jesus says, I go, but it's better that I go because I'll return with the helper (laughs) and he will carry all of you. Are we listening through the ordinary means of grace, the word, the fellowship of the body, prayer? Are we able to clear the clutter? Or maybe, maybe are we allow, able to let the Spirit clear the clutter? To hear Him. Counselor is with us. Will you listen to Him? Lord Jesus, we thank You for these words. You, you know what we deal with. You know what we are overwhelmed by and what we, what we face every day. You did not leave us alone. You sent yourself. You sent the Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, empower our incapability. That you would change our reality so that we might see true reality. And the unreal things would be seen as unreal in light of the gospel. Lord, would your presence... Give us an ability to hear. Open our ears for the gospel afresh. That it would be to your glory and our good. Pray this in your powerful name. Amen.